Hello everyone and welcome to Techler Talks 11. Today we have a really hot topic that's really kind of taking over the internet it seems because front ends like NVIDIAS for YouTube which lets you view YouTube without needing to use YouTube, Aurora Store which allows you to download apps not using the Google Play Store, and now especially we've all probably heard about Reddit is trying to make it harder to use third-party clients and their API and this actually kind of started with almost Twitter. We can almost go back to Twitter if we wanted to. Um, shutting down their API and paywalling it pretty significantly significantly shutting down effectively because it's so much money. Um, so today we're going to talk about these front ends, why they're, you know, kind of a band-aid solution to a much deeper issue and um, what needs to actually happen and some other things. We're going to talk about Debian and like Debian just released Debian 12 and whatever else comes up, but we're going to really dial in first on things like Reddit, NVIDIAS, Aurora, and this kind of problem that we're seeing that's been coming up the last six months. I think it's a pretty serious issue that needs to be talked about. So why don't you start with Reddit? Because you've been following that a lot more than I have. Yeah, yeah. Um, Reddit's been making a lot of changes uh, lately. They announced a few weeks ago that they were increasing the cost of their API for third-party developers to use. Um, from $0, it used to be completely free, to around $12,000 for every 50 million requests, which seems like a lot of requests, but when you are a third-party app developer and you have maybe thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people using your app every day, those requests add up quickly. Um, there's one app um, that's been making the most noise about this change. It's um, Apollo on iOS. Um, and the developer's estimate uh, for their cost was in the realm of $20 million a year is what the new API changes would cost them. So the response to this has been for Apollo, um, Sync, and many other uh, pretty popular third-party Reddit clients uh, to completely shut down. Um, so a lot of them have posted announcements now saying that they're shutting down at the end of the month because of these changes. Um, so it's a really it's a really bad situation if you use uh, one of these third-party clients, which a lot of people do for various reasons. Um, there's accessibility reasons. Um, I've heard from a lot of um, like blind people, for example, that the official Reddit app is very um, difficult to use with a screen reader. Um, there's also privacy reasons, of course. Um, third-party apps typically don't have ads or like unnecessary trackers built in. Um, it's just like a straight Reddit feed to your phone. Um, and pretty much all of those are going to be going away is what it looks like right now. So pretty, pretty crazy changes. Um, do you use Reddit at all yourself? No, um, I, <laughs> I, I used to use Reddit a lot and I found it to just be just mentally draining. Um, and so I stopped using it and now we kind of have like a couple, we just have like a Techlor feed that just posts our videos on Reddit. We don't really have any communities on the Techlor front, so I have no reason to check it anymore. Um, yeah, I think the last time I really used it was we did a AMA with the cryptocurrency subreddit about privacy. Um, so that was the last time I can think of I really used Reddit. But um, when I used it, I only used third party clients because the Reddit app is just completely unhinged. Like you open it up and it's like, oh, here, watch this person play guitar. And it's like, I don't want to watch a person play guitar. I, I, I literally just like want to check the subs I'm subscribed to. Like, that's it. Right. Um, and then there's like shorts. Do they, don't they like shorts? I just remember being annoyed as hell with the Reddit app. Yeah, they're making a lot of changes. It's very uh, media focused. Um, I think there's like auto playing videos when you scroll through. I've heard, see, I haven't used the official Reddit app for probably like a year now and even before, like only briefly to try it out. Um, but what I've heard from people is they're moving into more like TikTok like changes where they have like full like vertical videos that you swipe through, stuff like that. Um, it's, <laughs> it's not a great experience. It's definitely um, like this trend that we're seeing with a lot of social media companies to kind of like steal some of TikTok's success um, at the expense of their own communities. I mean, a lot of <laughs> a lot of these platforms have nothing to do with like vertical video content, like what TikTok is making, and now they're trying to jump on it anyways because it's popular right now. It's crazy stuff to me. I just don't get it because like I understand YouTube going into shorts because it's video content, and I right. understand them, you know, just offering people the ability to do short style videos. Reddit is text-based, long-form discussions. It's like literally polar opposites. Imagine if TikTok right now released a 
forum feature built into TikTok. <laughs> so every other TikTok <laughs> video is like a, a thread of people talking about something over text. It just doesn't make sense because they're two completely different services. So it's really bizarre that Reddit's just like, oh, they're seeing they're making money. We should make money, too. And is not thinking about anything else. But I think it's a different tangent, probably, that we can go into. But long story short, I can't stand, I couldn't stand the Reddit client. And it's annoying how, um, you know, since I don't have any Reddit clients installed, when I receive a link from someone like on Signal about Reddit, I open it and it opens in the web, the web app. And the web app is garbage. And it's like, open it in the Reddit app for the best experience. And I'm like, but is that the best experience? Or is it also sucky? It might be a little bit less sucky because you're not giving me these annoying pop-ups, but it's still crap. Um, and so it's a bummer to see those third-party clients go away, especially because that's a lot of them are open source. You know, like, this is also what happens when you have a centralized, and this is going to be the theme today, you have a centralized company that has at any point in time the ability to cut off its feed to other people and especially in the interest of making more money or when venture capitalists get involved or they are planning an IPO which i believe is reddit situation right yes yeah i think that is in the works uh, potentially later this year is what i heard right so the moment profits start becoming a discussion they're not going to want to keep these third party access platforms that disable ads that pretty much feed off the platform for free to exist. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, this isn't an issue of like cost. I've seen some people bring this up where like Reddit's been providing this API for free forever. They're basically subsidizing the the cost of running these apps for the app developers. And then the app developers get 100% of the profit. And that's a fair argument in a sense. Like Reddit should be able to... Um, like recoup some of the costs that they're that they're spending on these third-party apps, but um, the issue here is that the the price that they're setting isn't anywhere near like the the market value or the actual cost to Reddit. Um, you can look at um, the Apollo developer referenced uh, Imgur, which is an image sharing site that's pretty similar to Reddit in terms of like user base and media use and stuff, and their cost um, for every like 50 million requests to uh, their platform is around $160 or so um, compared to the 12,000 Reddit wants to charge now. So <laughs> Reddit is clearly, um, they're, they're not making these changes in like good faith. They're not trying to work with these third-party app developers. That's the biggest issue here. The, the intent of this change is to eliminate them all because Reddit would rather have everybody access Reddit through um, their like the portal that they control, that app on their phone that is completely controlled by Reddit. Before we get into Aurora and Nvidia's, which is a very similar issue, um, I did, you know a lot more about this than I do. All I did was I kind of watched some clips from the Lewis Rossman video on this, but do you want to explain what's going on with the blackouts and also um, just any other parts of the drama between, I did read the thread between the Apollo developer and the Reddit CEO, and it is the most unhinged, garbage I've ever seen. It's like kind of the stuff we've had to deal with with certain people as well, where they just completely make things up without any evidence. And it's like, what are you talking about? Like, completely fake information that was just that never happened. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Reddit has uh, this private community. Um, they call it uh, partner communities where like, maybe the top 100 or so biggest subreddits are the mods of that of those communities get added to this partner community area where they can talk with admins directly and they get updates from admins directly. And one of the, um, one of the announcements that admins posted, um, like within the last two weeks or so, um, was like a, about a bunch of changes. And one of the lines was like basically saying this Apollo guy blackmailed us. He wanted us um, to pay him like $10 million for him to shut up, um, is basically what Reddit was claiming. And so, um, the developer of Apollo kept getting like messages from moderators that read that announcement and they were like, what are you doing? Why are you blackmailing Reddit? So <laughs> the Apollo dev basically posted a response um, with like recordings of the phone calls that he has with Reddit um, to like prove that like um, he did like make some comment about $10 million. It was clearly a joke and like Reddit like in the call immediately after like acknowledged that it was a joke and it was a misunderstanding. Um, and then later in these announcements, Reddit's been trying to spin it in such a way to like paint the Apollo dev in a bad light because um, 
the posts that the Apollo dev has been making have been like gaining the most traction on the platform as far as like dissent against these API changes. Um, so it's a lot of like bad faith behavior on Reddit's part and um, the API changes and then this behavior, like this total lack of response um, from Reddit to the community, um, like in the weeks following the this announcement um, has has caused a lot of like the largest communities on the platform to um, black out in protest. So basically, um, I think we're at like maybe around seven thousand or so subreddits now that have um, that the mod teams have made private, so you can no longer access them um, on Reddit. And that's supposed to last um, officially. Like the coordinated blackout effort is two days, so it's going to last until the fourteenth. Um, we're seeing. Um, a lot of subreddits say that they want to continue that blackout indefinitely. So we might see um, some communities just leave Reddit entirely. Pretty crazy over there right now. I heard that Reddit like went down earlier this morning. We're not sure why that happened, but it was down for like at least an hour or so um, completely. And I think these communities have been kind of all over the place with this. Um, I can speak for the Privacy Guides community, which um, shut down uh, last night in as a part of this blackout. Um, we're going to be we're going to be reopening after two days, but we're going to be reopening in restricted mode so people can't post. And then we'll pr probably have like a discussion in the community from where we want to go from there. Um, I know that I've seen a lot of other communities say that they're just going to be blacked out forever unless Reddit like reverses all of these changes that they've been making. Um, but and I've seen a lot of other subreddits not really commit to anything after the the two days. So. It's really going to depend, I think, on whether Reddit responds to this blackout at all. No matter how this blackout goes, I think that Reddit's going to look a lot different two days from now. Um, the other thing with this API change that I think I forgot to mention is um, it's also affecting a lot of bots on the platform. So, like, there's a lot of bots that users have set up to moderate their platform. And if those go away, we're going to see um, moderation become a lot harder. Um, which will probably mean an increase in low quality discussions. We'll see an increase in spam. So like, even if nothing changes, the like losing these clients, losing these bots that moderators rely on to like keep the communities organized is going to have a big impact. Um, even if everybody stays on the platform, it's just going to be a completely different moderation experience. Well, on a similar note um, here, I can open the, the discussion on Invidious. So um, NVIDIAS is a YouTube front end. So, you know, like this Techler Talks 11 is going to end up on YouTube, but let's say you don't want to access youtube.com to watch it. You can access an instance of NVIDIAS. So anyone can host NVIDIAS. Um, your friend can host it, you can host it, and people have like big community servers that are hosting this. And NVIDIAS pretty much lets you grab a YouTube video and watch it through the NVIDIAS client. So you're actually still engaging with the YouTube video. Um, it's coming from YouTube, but you're not on YouTube's website. The problem here is YouTube just recently sent a legal takedown request, somewhat legal threat, um, kind of however you want to word it, which A, doesn't make much sense because NVIDIAS, as far as I know, isn't actually using the, the API as YouTube seems to claim. Um, so that's actually not even true, and it doesn't seem like the, the, they can do anything about it. But even if NVIDIAS was using the API, NVIDIAS, um, like I just said, can be hosted by anyone. So they can try to get the GitHub repo shut down, but someone can just clone the repo onto GitLab. And then, what, are they going to shut that down? Well, someone can clone it. You can have a million like copies of the source code, and anyone can host it. So it is truly like a decentralized really hard to take down model for NVIDIAS. I was going to bring this up. Um, the API wouldn't impact NVIDIAS, but um, I don't know if you've seen this, but in addition to that letter, YouTube does seem to be taking like technical measures against NVIDIAS um, like platforms. Um, I saw a few days ago around when this started, um, a lot of videos could no longer be played on many NVIDIAS instances. Um, and it seems to be pretty f thorough because um, at Privacy Guides, I run an NVIDIAS instance that's not public, it's only for like embedded videos on the website. So it's pretty low traffic. And even those videos were blocked um, from loading. So um, they, they do seem to be doing things behind the scenes in addition to that legal complaint that might end up blocking. It'll, it'll always be a game of 
cat and mouse, you know, they're going to block it. Invidious is going to fix it. But um, if this if this letter gets the Invidious developers to stop working on it, then we might see um, we might see it stop working entirely. Right. And this isn't new. <laughs> I mean, YouTube went after Vanced. Vanced, Vanced, however you say it, um, which was kind of like a YouTube alternative client for Android, which I think blocked, I don't know if it blocked ads out of the box, but it had a ton of features to pretty much make it YouTube premium on Android devices. It was a really nice client that a lot of people loved and YouTube got them officially shut down. They made a huge legal threat and they shut down. And I don't know if you heard about YouTube doing the same thing with a ton of music bots on Discord. Yep, on Discord, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So this isn't new. These are like, this keeps happening with YouTube. Um, and people always don't think that they're impacted by this, but you know, it's only a matter of time before new pipe is hit. Like new pipe already has had so many broken updates because Google changes things to make videos stop working on new pipe. It's unclear if that's intentional or not, but it still happens nonetheless. And it proves the root problem here. And I think we can start talking about the root problem. We still have, you know, um, other platforms to talk about specifically Aurora. Um, but like we can already start to see the root problem, which is, these front ends and these ways of engaging with the platform without being on the platform aren't actually solving any real problems in the long run. Um, they're giving us a transition and they're giving us just a temporary solution. It's a Band-Aid um, at best, to be honest. Um, and a lot of these front ends like Newpipe still actually submit a little bit of data to Google. It's not like proxied through Newpipe servers or anything like that. So even from a privacy perspective, um, it's still not completely private from Google. It's still infinitely better. I still think you should use these open source suites when you can. But from pretty much every perspective, this is as much as this. Is, there's no better description of a Band-Aid solution that I could give than these front ends. And so we need to start looking at solutions and independent ways of getting away from these platforms, which we will talk about. Um, before that, we want to talk about Aurora. And before we talk about Aurora, I want to check in to see if there's anything you wanted to say about like NVIDIAs and YouTube front ends. They only exist to like make your experience better. You can usually run them like without JavaScript, for example, which I don't think you can on the main YouTube site, things like that. Um, but when the underlying content is still controlled by um, like one centralized party that they can do pretty much whatever they want with that. Um, I kind of wonder uh, whether you have any opinions about like YouTube and alternative platforms, maybe we'll get to this, but as a creator, um, because um, YouTube is sort of a necessary evil in the sense that it's really the only like accessible video platform that um, is monetized properly for creators. Like there's no way that we would be able to do what we do here without YouTube, right? Like if we were just uploading to PeerTube, it wouldn't be, <laughs> it wouldn't be sustainable right now, you know? If we were uploading to PeerTube, we would not have survived <laughs> two weeks <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> dare i say right. well if if PeerTube was around in like an alternative and we had the exact same viewer count as on youtube imagine in some perfect world i don't really understand how we would get to this point um without like any sort of monetization because like as you're growing what do you have to do you'd have to make sponsorship deals yourself and and as a new channel that's not really possible so it, youtube has like for better or for worse, it's lowered the bar significantly to publishing video content and getting paid for it, making a platform out of it. So that's like, to me, the hardest problem that these platforms have to solve. Right, and like, it's you're totally right too, because the, like we're assuming the viewership on PeerTube is the same, but really it's like maybe 1% of YouTube. So as a sponsor, why are you gonna sponsor or give any real money towards a content creator that's getting no attraction on PeerTube? Um, and so you're totally right because there's no ad business model on PeerTube. You're not going to be paid by any sponsors on PeerTube if you're only exclusively uploading to PeerTube, most likely. And I know I'm already seeing everyone, well, that's why there's Patreon and that's why there's XYZ. And it's like, look, Patreon is massively important for us. Like, I truly believe we wouldn't be able to do what we do without Patreon. But I think the same thing about YouTube ad revenue and our merch and affiliate links that we have in our content that are always optional and pretty much all our other revenue sources. We have like so many revenue sources and they all together allow us to do this content and keep growing and expanding. So for people who really believe in the whole like crowdsource model, 
you got to cough up the money. <laughs> like that's the reality. And a lot of people don't cough up the money. They, they, a lot of people like to say you need to, you know, we need to give back to people, but they don't actually give back to people. Um, and we all have to do this. It's hard. Like it sucks to give up money, but like, that's why I'm like supporting signal right now. Sometimes I can't, I turn off my signal badge as, as being a, a signal supporter. Um, cause that month I just don't want to spend the $5, but the next month I'll go back to doing it. Or sometimes I'll support this one thing on Patreon. If you just do this here and there, and a lot of people are doing that, then that makes a big difference. But I think we can talk about this more down the road. Um, with like YouTube and like, um, why we even have a peer tube in the first place and, and all that. But, um, yeah, I totally agree. It's, it's kind of, YouTube is kind of, it has been a necessary evil for not just ourselves, but a lot of other people. Um, I don't think it's a crazy thing to say that like privacy and security would ironically not be anywhere near as accessible to people if it wasn't for platforms like YouTube. And not just because of ourselves, but other privacy creators as well, who have really advanced the space and have brought so much good technical information to more and more people. I guess the last platform I wanted to talk about, and we, you know, we made shorts about this on TechLore, um, is Aurora. So for those who don't know, Aurora is um, pretty much, I, the best thing I can say is it's a front end almost for the Google Play Store. So if you're someone who is on an Android custom ROM and you want to be, and you want to be as de-Googled as possible, you're probably going to be using the Aurora App Store. And what this does is it allows you to log in anonymously so you just click login anonymously. They give you their own controlled Google account as pretty much a proxy. And then you can download apps from the Google Play Store directly from Aurora. It's really awesome. Like this, and I, I even said this way back in the day, without Aurora, custom ROMs are kind of a joke. At least in its like the current space is seen. Like in the current space, because only like the top 1% of people who use custom ROMs can probably only get apps from F-Droid because most people have Absolutely. dependencies on at least one proprietary app. And so are you going to ask people to like use some sketchy online app download service and then manually update their apps like every week? That's crazy. Like Aurora is like literally the only thing that keeps the custom ROM space. Not a joke, in my opinion. Um, it's such an important project. And they were dealing with rate limiting issues and their anonymous login kind of broke. Some people's Google accounts that were only used for Aurora were supposedly shadow banned or shut down. It's super unclear what the details are, but this is just another example of at any point in time, Google can kind of just cut off this project. And now the entire custom ROM scene is again, kind of a joke. I think Aurora is really the only project that's maintaining this amazing custom ROM space right now. Do you think that there might be a resurgence in web apps? I know we talked about this a little bit last last episode, um, but there's there's a push now from Apple um, to get web apps to be like the main alternative to the App Store. Obviously, for their own selfish reasons, um, they can <laughs> they can say that that's uh, that that's the side loading alternative people have been asking for. Um, but that could certainly have like a like some sort of effect on uh, other platforms as well. Um, and that's already certainly possible on Android um, to add web apps, um, like as if they were apps on your phone. Um, do you think we'll see more of that at all? Or do you think um, we'll be stuck with stuff like Aurora for quite a while? Well, I guess uh, you know, only time will tell. I really hope we move into more web-based direction. And I got to say, just on an individual level, that reality already mostly exists for most things, if you really want it. Um, like myself, which I'm sure you know, the first thing I do when I like find something to install on my phone is, oh, so how's the web app? Because <laughs> I, I just tried everything possible to avoid the actual app on my phone. Um, this was even a thing for like my dating life when I was doing some online dating. I realized that the web app on desktop is awesome, so I just didn't even install it on my phone, and I only use the web app on my computer. Um, Todoist is another example. that That's a tool that we use internally for keeping track of our projects and stuff. Um, their web app is phenomenal. Like, I love the Todoist web app, and so I only use the web app on my phone. Um, Twitter, when I used to be more active on Twitter, I don't actually do anything on Twitter anymore. We just have our feed automatically post there. But when I was using Twitter on mobile, it was all a web app. So a lot of the apps that you use can actually be web apps. And with Mastodon recently, I've been using Elk, E-L-K, which is actually my favorite Mastodon client I've ever used. The UI is so good. 
so good. I think nothing, like nothing I've used beats Elk and it's all web-based. They don't even have any clients. Um, so I think web, and this even extends, you might be thinking, oh, but what about my password manager? There's even like web app KeePass clients. You can use KeePass in your web app. You might be thinking, okay, I manage my eBooks in Calibre. There's a Calibre web app. Like there are web apps for most things you use. And so it's really just a question of like how far you want to go into that world. But hopefully the options, like you said, get better so that the friction point of needing to use these tools is a lot better. Um, because yeah, breaking dependence from the app store is great. And I know that like, <laughs> like I know you probably, you, you recently mentioned that you might've listened to at least clips of my interview with John, John Osbey from Crypty, but that is their whole reason why they don't have any apps on the app store. They're like, we don't want any d- dependence on these app stores. We want to be able to host our, our site anywhere we want. We don't ha- want to have control over them or sorry, we want to have control over them. So I hope that we move into a more web-based direction, but as of right now, that's pro- for a lot of people probably not realistic. Because, um, for example, with the dating thing, as I used as an example, you can't actually access the web- those web apps on your phone. You still have to use the app on your phone. They don't let you use the web app on your phone, even though they have a web app. Yeah, that's why I don't really see. Like, I don't think a lot of these major developers are going to be switching to web apps, unfortunately. If you're a developer, like, your users are always going to be finding ways to install your app outside of the Play Store for various reasons. Um, it could be reasons like this where they want to use alternative clients. It could be um, sometimes Google Play just isn't available on various devices or in various areas and they want to use your app anyways. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. Um, the, the problem with that that comes to mind is I think Google has been making a lot of steps to um, kind of prevent that um, in the name of security, of course. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know if we talked about this on the channel before, but they like made that change where developers have to upload their apps and then the apps are signed by Google instead of by the developer, which is a pretty big change. Um, it shifts that trust, it shifts a lot of the trust to Google, but it also means that you can't update an app installed from the Play Store with an app obtained from the developer anymore because the developer hasn't signed um, the APK that they're distributing. So it could be, so that could be like a big challenge in like getting people to switch over to manually installed apps or apps from outside the Play Store. Um, I really hope we don't move in that direction because again, it's going to make things like de-googling even harder, which I think actually let's take this to the next level. I think this might even pose just a general problem. And look, I, I am one of the largest probably critics on YouTube regarding Linux phones. <laughs> Like, I have not had a good experience with them, and my reviews that are coming soon are going to speak to that. But this also speaks to how even custom ROMs are kind of a Band-Aid solution. Again, you know, like they're built on a platform, AOSP, that is open source, but still controlled by Google. Google can start implementing a lot of things um, to make even the custom ROM scene be kind of sucky. And all these phones that we're using for custom ROMs, they're Google Pixels. Um, the only reason why that's like, like Google at any point in time can lock down the bootloader and make it pretty much impossible to use custom ROMs on their phones, um, which is what Samsung does, which is what pretty much every other manufacturer does. The only reason custom ROM space is like the way it is right now is because Google has been open enough to allow it. And then obviously you have like the tons of devices available on Lineage OS, like the older devices. Um, I think over time people find ways to get around the bootloader, but my point stands Google at any point in time can kill custom ROMs. Google at any point in time can kill things like Aurora. Google at any point in time can kill pretty much any YouTube front end. They can kill Invidious. Reddit can kill all these third-party clients. Um, what else? What else did we cover? <laughs> like any any big tech company, as long as you're using Band-Aid solutions, can kill a Band-Aid solution. And So I guess we can start talking about what needs to actually happen. And I think just, and I'm sure you have a lot of insight here, but we need to actually move to independent platforms that don't rely on big tech companies. Do you have any like notable examples to share or like what this looks like? Absolutely. Um, I mean, obviously on the Android side of things, there's alternative app stores like F-Droid that you mentioned. Um, There's... um, some new what, before there's a, we, there's a new app let's let's get yeah. this straight what's the difference between f-droid and getting your apps from f-droid and why is that mm-hmm. not a band-aid solution compared to getting apps from aurora i really want to get this like down so people understand 
Right. Um, F-Droid is, it's a, F-Droid's an open source client that kind of uh, connects you directly to a developer's repo. So a, a developer can publish their apps directly from like infrastructure that they control um, and then it's available in F-Droid. So um, there's various ways that F-Droid apps are published. Um, there's a, like a default repo that uh, developers can submit their apps to, um, which functions similarly to the Play Store. Um, and then there's um, an option to add your own custom repositories of apps where like the developer could run, the developer could control like the entire distribution process on their end. So what you're saying right? is like, you know, let's even tie this to like deplatforming, which I know is kind of a, an annoying term, but like, let's say someone has an app that's been taken off the Google Play Store and they can't, even F-Droid doesn't want to list it. What you're saying is they can host their very own website, their very own repository that any person can add into F-Droid and download the app from there. And so the developer still has a way of pushing out their apps independently of any platforms. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. And then the other thing is that unlike the Play Store, uh, of course, F-Droid is open source. Um, and so there's there's no like um, business incentives that like Google might have to um, keeping people out of the Play Store with like third party clients like Aurora. There's no there's no incentives and there's no reason for F-Droid to make any changes like that. Prohibit third party F-Droid clients, for example. And even if they did, um, because it's a community run project, they can the community can easily like revert those changes or fork the project and start like <laughs> uh, a more sane one. But like, there's there's really unlike unlike with all these big tech companies, which are like very um, VC funded um, and like have been basically burning investment dollars for decades, <laughs> is what we've been seeing. Um, and now that they, now they have to find a way to return a profit on that money. Um, after it doesn't have any of those problems and a lot of open source apps like after I don't have any of those problems, right? There's no profit incentive. Um, right. Sorry. I, I interrupt. I wanted to like really, I wanted to really outline the difference so people who've never used after or Aurora could, or Aurora could understand crystal clear why these are different tools. Um, but sorry, do you want to continue on like other examples maybe of like independent platforms? There's also a lot of like, uh, alternatives to social media that have been popping up lately. Um, Mastodon, we've probably all heard of by now, it's an alternative to Twitter that's decentralized, it's federated. So instead of having one central Twitter incorporated company controlling the entire platform, you have um, like many, many servers, hundreds, thousands of individually run servers that all connect to each other. So you have an experience where you access a full Mastodon network with everybody you can follow anybody you want but no like no aspect of that network is controlled by a single party every uh every instance and every developer is kind of a stakeholder in the network themselves um so these federated networks they're not really completely decentralized it's not like every user um is a stakeholder in these networks um unless you like self-host which isn't like feasible but having like hundreds of servers with um like a few thousand members is a, a lot different <laughs> it's a a lot different of a situation than having like one server with millions of members that's controlled by a single person similar to mastodon so um reddit re regarding the reddit stuff so you took privacy guides private um and you guys also yep. recently opened lemmy so yes what is that about i've never i logged in and i thought it looked kind of <laughs> underdeveloped <laughs> but um what's it what's it like it's not definitely yours just the platform in general lemmy itself yeah. yeah it's definitely pretty um bare bones but i would say that's part of the appeal um for example like well i'll tell you what lemmy is first lemmy is basically a federation of servers um a lot like mastodon that all talk to each other it's just that the format is different from mastodon instead of microblogging like mastodon and twitter um, it's more of a discussion format like Reddit. So you have, you can post um, text posts, you can post links to Lemmy, uh, you can post images, and um, there's a discussion format that's threaded and it's very much like Reddit comments. So with all of the changes to Reddit lately, a lot of people have been switching to Lemmy um, because it's that decentralized federated alternative that we've, we've been talking about that has a lot of advantages just like Mastodon. 
And in fact, it speaks the same language as Mastodon in the sense that you can open, um, you could open a Lemmy post or a comment, you could copy the link to that comment and put it in Mastodon and you can reply directly from Mastodon. So you don't even need like a Lemmy account in order to interact with a post that you see. Maybe you just browse every once in a while. You don't need to, um, and you just want to leave a comment like once a month or something. You don't need a full account. You don't need to be on there every day. But if you see something that you have an opinion on, you can uh, post that from a client like Mastodon that you already have instead of signing up for another account on another service. Pretty much all the same advantages that we talked about earlier as far as moderation, as far as like control over your data. Um, all of that was a lot of, um, all of that was the reason that we are trying it out at Privacy Guides. Um, it's on a server that I run um, to see if maybe that's an alternative to our subreddit because um, speaking for privacy guides here, our subreddit is a huge community. It's probably our biggest community that we run um, and a lot of great people, helpful people posting news, asking questions, helping out. And we really need to be looking for a replacement to that because of all of the changes that Reddit's making, right? Right. Um, yeah, it's a big decision you guys made to do the blackout. That is probably your core platform. As far as like Lemmy's design, um, I think it's a huge advantage over like Reddit, for example, at least the new Reddit redesign, because um, it's very minimal, but it's very uh, responsive in the sense that you can use it on pretty much any platform. So like the web app, for example, on mobile is excellent, whereas, it, uh, with, whereas with Reddit, it's basically unusable, right? Um, so that's the kind of thing where like, if you're making a product like Lemmy, that's supposed to be user first, community first, and not profit first, and not like centralized control first like Reddit, you can make these platforms that actually work really well on a lot of people's devices. It works really well on your phone. Um, and the only reason we don't see that with other apps is because, um, not because it's impossible, but because they just don't want to do it, right? I gotta say, this is kind of tying into the final point of the video, which is like what we at Techler have already done about this problem for years now. I've just been kind of like, not because I think it's a funny situation, this is some st serious stuff, but I get to just relax during this. Um, I get to sit back, I get to make some tea, I get to be like, cool, we already set up our forum. Our forum is self-hosted, it's on our own platform. It can be easily integrated with other things via RSS. So people will notice that our forum posts lately have been showing up on Mastodon, on Twitter, even on Reddit. Like all these platforms can be integrated with our forum. And I don't have to worry about some random psychopath who's a CEO of a company being like, oh, we're gonna just completely change the way our whole product works and make sh and like screw you over in the process in the interest of pleasing shareholders. Um, that's just not a problem. And this is also why we post to PeerTube. You know, if YouTube does something crazy and we get our channel banned, we actually are on PeerTube and Odyssey. We have a whole mirror of our channel on other platforms and we continually upload to them. So we have people, I know I joke about the 300 people on PeerTube, but that's 300 people who are engaging with our content in an independent way, where even if YouTube shuts down, all I have to do is, well, now I don't have the auto sync set up between PeerTube. Now I just have to manually upload to PeerTube. It's the only difference. The channel's still gonna be there, nothing's gonna happen. An exercise that I want people to do right now. And this actually applies to anyone. I think all of us probably grossly underestimate how reliant we actually are on big tech. All of us. I'm even thinking about the Techler workflow. You know, even if YouTube just shut down overnight, I would be like, well, we're on Odyssey and PeerTube, but the reality is like, we would have to start manually uploading to Odyssey and PeerTube. So that's already just one reliance on Google right there. That's just a minor thing. If you use Aurora, you're not actually like completely de-Googled. You might be from a privacy perspective, perhaps, but you're not actually de-Googled from a, from a technical perspective, I would say, you're not actually de-Googled. If you use NewPipe on your phone and you're watching our content through YouTube, you're not actually de-Googled. If you're using NewPipe on your phone and you're watching us through PeerTube, you are de-Googled. So I really want people to think about in their day-to-day -day life how many things they rely on that use Google. And you might actually have to dig pretty deep. So these are things that like everyone needs to think about and how like we can always set up Band-Aid solutions, but until we actually step up and like demand something better and not just demand it, but move to something better and actually communicate to these companies that 
we don't want a company to control basic things in our lives because especially in a capitalist society where profits are first, it will screw us over eventually. You left a comment here and I kind of sent you a message on Signal like about Debian. So Debian just released <laughs> version 12 and everyone's like going crazy about it. <laughs> yeah, that, that is what it seems like. Like if I open YouTube, if I open these forums that I follow, it's like these Linux creators are very excited about Debian. Um, Debian 12, they're like, it's the best release ever, right? Um, and it makes sense because finally, uh, apparently, I haven't used it yet, but this is what I've heard them say, is it, it supports like modern hardware. You can use current video graphics drivers, for example, so it's great for gaming, stuff like that. And it's like, this is my frustration with um, Debian in general and these like stable uh, Linux distro releases. Um, it's that they're always great, like the month that they come out with a new release, right? <laughs> the issue <laughs> the issue isn't that they're always behind, it's that for the next two years from now, Debian 12 is going to be exactly the same as it is now, right? It's not going to be getting further updates and stuff like that. It's pretty much pinned all their software here to what is releasing now. Um, there's going to be security patches, of course, and stuff like that, but no feature updates. And the problem with that on desktop Linux specifically is that desktop, like the desktop ecosystem is a moving target. If you're a desktop operating system, you can't afford to not change anything at all for two years in a row or four years in a row, because I don't know how long Debian is like officially supported, but I think the last version is supported as well. So you could potentially be going four years between releases and it, it, it becomes unworkable and it, it, and it happens every two years. It happens every time Debian is released, you know, people are very excited because they get the latest software and then they don't get any new updates for a very long time um, compared to rolling releases, which get like uh, updates immediately as the developer pushes them out. Um, I think that Debian has like, it has a space. I run servers on it, for example, um, some of them and like there's a reason that you might want um, to pin all of your software to a specific version for a long period of time, but you almost never want to do that on the desktop because the desktop ecosystem is always changing. Apps that you want to use, web browsers, they're always changing. And like even consumer hardware is always changing. It's always being updated. And when you're stuck with two-year-old software, it's simply not going to work anymore. So. It's just the frustration I always have with <laughs> new releases of Debian. And we're seeing it again. It's it's weird stuff to me. It's valid too. And you know, so I used to use Debian. That used to be my main Linux distro on my personal laptop. Um, and what actually prompted me to move away, from, I was already somewhat unhappy with it because I realized there was a lot of things that just stopped working after like, like you said, like a couple years of using Debian. I was like, okay, like I'm starting to stumble on issues now. Um, but the main thing that happened was I wanted to try to build Firefox from source. So this is when I was really, I never ended up like actually doing this, but I started to really want to start contributing to open source software. And I really wanted to just like build something, see how it works and try just try to like mess with it and tinker with it. Um, it was kind of like my first entryway into trying to like just understand open source software. This was many years ago. And I couldn't build Firefox from source on Debian. Every time I tried to do it, it's like you're missing these 50 dependencies are out of date by this much. And I'm not kidding. Like, I literally spent like two days going one by one. So I would update one. But in order to update one, there were six other ones that were out of date. So it was like this crazy tree of just like missing dependencies that were completely out of date. And I booted up a Fedora VM. It just worked. There was no I think there was like two missing dependencies that just had to be installed. And then I was, I was clear, but with Debian, I literally couldn't actually, it started getting to a point where I'm like, screw this, this is ridiculous. And so, and that's, that's the design usage for Debian. Like it's supposed to be locked in place. So this isn't necessarily a criticism of like, it's not a criticism of anything that's not supposed to be its design use case is what I'm saying. It's just, I, I find it weird like you that it would be like, suggested as like a common desktop OS for the average person. I think it's a little 
it's pretty extreme when you think about it. I don't know if this is a hot take or not. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that like a lot of um, maybe old school Linux desktop users are very out of touch with what people use their machines for. Um, and it might be just a matter of needs. Like if you only visit one website, maybe you only browse the old Reddit design in Firefox and you do nothing else with your computer. Do you really need Firefox to be updated? Maybe not, maybe that's fine. You can post to Reddit and Hacker News and whatever like text-based forms you want in this browser. But like realistically, there are so many things that people use um, their desktop for that are very like, they require modern software solutions and they require like maybe a lot of computational power. You can't do a lot of things on a 12 year old ThinkPad, right? And that's that power that people need, that flexibility that people need is just not there in stable desktop distros like Debian. And it's just very, it's crazy to me that people would recommend it. Like you should try this just to anybody without knowing like what they, what they want to do with their computer and just acting like Linux, Linux, and just acting like Debian is going to work perfectly for them out of the box when that is almost never going to be the case in my experience. Right. That was me. That, that was me. I um, was somewhat still new to Linux and Debian was the second Linux distro I ever tried after Ubuntu. And that's what right. I read online. It's like, oh, Ubuntu is based on Debian. So um, just use Debian instead. And I'm like, okay. As if they're like... <laughs> I really think... <laughs> what? I really think that that's a huge reason why desktop Linux is, has taken so long to take off. I mean, desktop Linux has only seen mainstream usage in the last year or two, maybe? I mean, I would consider something like the Steam Deck coming out as like the biggest event in desktop Linux history, right? And that's based on, um, I want to say Arch, but maybe it's not. But it's something a lot more modern than Debian. It gets more frequent releases. And that's because it's really a necessity for, for like mainstream users um, to not be on a, a stable release, right? There's one more thing I want to talk about. But yeah, we can talk about Teclar Clips. Um, it's awesome. <laughs> I think that like... I'm not exaggerating. Like, I really think that this is going to change the whole privacy space on YouTube because in these one, like individual Techler talks, there's like 50 amazing conversations that are had. We're not going to do all 50, but like if we can even grab four of those conversations and make them, make them into a, t combine them into a pill that the average person can consume who doesn't even care about privacy that's awesome. Like we are now able to bring privacy and so many other privacy discussions to so many more people. And why this is really cool for us back here is, for example, one of the, um, let me take a look at this. So there's one that's scheduled. Um, there's a Techler clip scheduled about Google safe browsing. Um, and I'm, I can never justify with how much crap we have to do back here. I could never justify making a five to eight minute video talking about Google safe browsing. I just can't, but we just happened to talk about it in the surveillance report. Someone asked about, you know, something and I happened to bring up Google safe browsing and I kind of expanded on it. And now I can just clip that and put it on channel. Um, so it's almost free content for us, which is incredible for us and allows us to expand and do things for ourselves. But more importantly, now we have a whole video that's going to come out that's going to talk about the privacy and security implications of Google safe browsing. Right. It really makes a lot like a lot of niche privacy topics a lot more accessible because I mean, it's not just like Techler talks and surveillance report, but it's like Techler publishes so much long form content like interviews. For example, we have some clips from um, interviews that you've done live streams and all of that like previously required people to watch the whole hour plus of content just to find like whatever they're looking for. If this, um, uh, this, this is gonna this is gonna bring like certain topics that people might be searching for like to the forefront which i'm excited about so what are we at right now we're at 924 subscribers yep as we're doing this so almost at a thousand uh gotta get to a thousand if you're watching this and you're not subscribed right just Go right now i did want to bring up kind of a hot take topic here um oh boy and i 
mainly because I want to just like, I need more places to talk about this. And I feel like it's really not talked about. And I think it's a really serious problem. I'm getting really annoyed and frustrated with Proton and their marketing. And this has been happening for a while. So for example, let, let's really go back in time. So Proton releases Proton Pass. In that blog article on Proton Pass, Proton makes false and incorrect claims about the security of other password managers, like Bitwarden and KeePass. KeePass XC, which is a KeePass client, came forward and said, where are your sources for this? So Proton in a blog article made these other tools look not safe to try to make their tool look more safe. And most recently, they put out this blog article talking about iCloud. And the headline and the title of the article is, I'm going to pull it up to make sure I get this right. Before you get to that, um, because I thought I remembered seeing this, um, Proton did post a response to like KeePass's Twitter thread. Um, they posted a response on their subreddit. Um, and basically their excuse was that um, they made two blog posts about their password manager software. They made one for um, a general audience that uses like Google password manager, for example. And then that's the example that they gave. And then they made a more technical blog post for the more technical community is what they said. Basically that the, they were saying that they weren't like intentionally targeting KeePass. They were um, more targeting like Google. Um, but at the same time, I definitely think that it's very easy to take their blog, their uh, like general audience blog posts that gets a lot more attention than their technical posts and um, apply it to uh, like a lot of the password managers that we do like, like KeePass, like Bitwarden. Um, I think it's still a mistake on their end um, as far as like how they're how they're making these general audience blog posts, even if that's not like, even if they say that that's not their intent, it's definitely um, a failure on their end. So the issue here is that Proton, whether intentional or unintentional, um, is now creating misinformation and misleading people and creating this fear mongering that is discouraging people from using actually safe tools. And then what they're going to do is they're going to maybe move to ProtonPass, which fortunately is probably a very trusted password manager. Uh, what happens when, you know, kid in his basement password manager that's developed in his free time, which doesn't even use proper security, what happens when they put out a marketing piece that says that, you know, all these password managers are insecure and it implies that there's is is secure. And then people start flocking to that. That's the problem here. There's this implication that Proton can't do wrong and that like they're they're the safe, trusted authorities, which I think is a dangerous place to start heading for them. Yeah, it's not like a message that you should be it's not the type of message you should be promoting because well Proton is making a lot of like good work on their end, um, there's a lot of people um, making basically scam software that uses like these same marketing tactics that it seems like Proton uses sometimes. I think that's the main issue. Proton is marketing their products in a very similar way to very less reputable um, software providers. And it kind of adds legitimacy to that whole tactic as a whole, I think. Yeah, it does. And, and I think it's a lose-lose because I think like you said, it adds legitimacy to the people who use this for the wrong reasons. And so we're going to start seeing more of that. And we're going to start seeing more misleading things and more misinformation and more unnecessary distrust in the privacy community. But the actual people who like can sift through this and understand that Proton is just marketing fluff and being obnoxious, those are the technical users that are going to lose respect for Proton, including myself. And so all of us who are able to see that Proton's just being annoying are going to be like, this is silly. And it makes us, it makes us even look bad for recommending Proton. Like as, uh, cause we recommend Proton cause I truly believe that they ha have some amazing software and they have probably hands down one of the most secure and private email providers that you can get your hands on. And that goes for a lot of their other pieces of software. But when they do nonsense like this, it has to, it makes us look terrible. Cause they're like, why are you recommending something that literally like spreads misinformation about other services. Um, and most recently, 
this is where it really starts escalating. This isn't just a proton pass thing. They put out a blog article, Privacy Deep Dives is the title of this. And the headline is, Apple can see everything you store in iCloud. That's it. That's a quote. That is the whole headline. No context, nothing. In that same article, they then make a list. What is encrypted and how? Referring to iCloud. Some kinds of data are always end-to-end encrypted, even with default standard data protection, like passwords and keychain, health data, home data, messages in iCloud, payment information, Apple Card transactions, maps, quick type keyboard learned vocabulary, Safari, screen time, Siri information, Wi-Fi passwords, Bluetooth keys, and memojis. So in the same, the headline, they say, Apple can see everything you store in iCloud, and then they themselves make a huge list about what Apple actually can't see in iCloud. And then this goes further and they say, if you turn on advanced protection program, you'll even protect iCloud backups, iCloud Drive, photos, notes, reminders, Safari bookmarks, Siri shortcuts, voice memos, wallet passes, and freeform. Effectively, the only three things that aren't end-to-end encrypted in iCloud with advanced data protection are contacts, calendar, and mail. And what I really don't understand about this is those are three services that Proton offers. So even if Proton just gave completely honest, 100% not bullshit marketing, they still have such a strong selling point because they can say, even with advanced data protection on in iCloud, we still have a selling point because we offer an end-to-end encrypted alternative that Apple does not provide. And even if Apple releases that tomorrow, they can still say, we're open source, we have a huge reputation in the privacy world, and we offer a lot of transparency behind what we do, which Apple has never really provided to that extent. And we have metadata protections, which Apple doesn't offer with a lot of this end-to-end encryption. Like, there's so many things that Proton can still market without having to resort to a headline that says Apple can see everything you store in iCloud, which is factually untrue, according to Proton's own blog article. And this especially frustrates me because part of our job, you know this, I'd say like in a video, like the Synology review, maybe five to 10 hours went into like planning the review. And then that video was unique because it took months to actually review the service. But let's just say the actual review process took 20 hours. And then the actual like scripting and like recording process might have taken like three to five hours. And then editing it might have taken 15 hours. Like we're looking at like a 50 to a 100 hour project. But my point is at the very end, when you think everything's done, I have to spend like five hours sometimes. It, it depends. Some videos are 20 minutes. Sometimes they're five hours. It depends on how challenging it is. But I have to find a good title and thumbnail. And on YouTube, you have to have a good title and thumbnail to get attention. What's really frustrating to me is why this is so hard back here is I have to find the perfect title and the perfect thumbnail that is attention grabbing, but not fear mongering. Because I want things to be ethical. And we've had so many opportunities. And I, I say this behind the scenes sometimes. I think we can have a million subscribers if we just leaned into like fear mongering and like ridiculous tactics on YouTube because it would work. We would get so many clicks, we'd get so much attention. Um, and so it's really frustrating for me because I know and I'm in this game of like having to find attention seeking headlines and thumbnails in an ethical way. I'm in this, I have a stake in this world. It's annoying when Proton doesn't do it right. That's my rant. Absolutely. I hate that they resort <laughs> to this nonsense that comes across as a clickbaity YouTube video that's spreading misinformation. And it's not hard to like go back. You know, um, I, I have a lot of respect. So the Linux experiment recently put out a video and he posted about this on Mastodon. This isn't secret or anything, but I don't know if you saw this, but he posted on Mastodon. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the Linux experiment, who I love the channel, they put out a video covering the recent French case, um, the French situation where they arrested people for using privacy tools like Signal and Tor and whatnot. He branded that video saying they were arrested, but they were never actually arrested. Um, and so he went on Mastodon and he's like, you guys have you know corrected me. The video title is misleading. And so he updated the video to better reflect the actual situation. We need more of that. The Linux experiment has ethics. And when people step forward and say this is misleading and is going to cause issues in the long run, he fixes it. Proton's not doing that. And it's crazy. I mean, it's just like you said, like the exact stuff that Apple is deficient in in iCloud is Proton's bread and butter, right? Like there's no excuse to be posting things like this, basically. 
because there are so many actual problems with iCloud, but them being able to see every single thing that you upload to it is not one of those issues. Right. So why would you bring it up? And that's what's so annoying because now, like, let's say Proton has any stake in how Apple can make improvements to iCloud. They just lost all their reputation because Apple's going to be like, well, people just think iCloud's, iCloud's not safe. We think it is. So we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. Versus if Proton came forward and said, here are actually some of the metadata concerns that still exist with advanced protection program. And they actually cited legitimate issues with iCloud's protection, which exist. Then it's an actual article <laughs> with actual points to be made that isn't just a proton hit piece. Tar it, it, it reads like a magazine that I read at Winco getting my groceries. <laughs> it looks like like the stuff at pe like from people. That's a really good point, actually. I think that is like the main differentiator between that ethical content like I think that you create versus like this fear-mongering stuff. Um, a lot of the people pushing these crazy headlines, I think Proton in this example even, um, are doing so because they have like their own personal goals and like they're setting out to achieve some sort of narrative with that post. They're not, they're not acting like in a way, they're not trying to be constructive and like provide actionable feedback to iCloud, for example, in this situation. They don't care whether Apple improves their service or not. Um, they, the, the purpose is to get people to use ProtonMail. So it doesn't really matter what they say from that perspective in their eyes. And I think that's really harmful that like a lot of like that Proton's doing this, that a lot of other creators are doing this, that they're trying to push things that like basically promote themselves um, at the expense of other private privacy projects in the space. Right. Thousand percent. Totally on board. And to take that a step further, not only are they doing this at the expense of Apple and other people, they're doing it at the expense of their own users. I, I'm beyond upset with Proton right now. It is awful. I, I, I have no other words to describe it outside of this is terrible. And I think it makes the Absolutely. whole privacy space look terrible as well. Because now like people who actually are technical and proficient and who understand how iCloud works, as well as just how end-to-end -end encryption works, are going to see literally one of the biggest names in the privacy space, Proton, who in a lot of ways represents the privacy community, start spouting nonsense that isn't true. And it makes the whole privacy community look like paranoid assholes. And, Absolutely. And I, I just have so many complaints. I don't even know where to start. I, I This this <laughs> rant can keep going for the next like half hour, but I, I, I'll, leave, sure. I'll leave it in your court if you want to finish this out. But I think I need to step back on this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just... Um... This is just one of my frustrations with the privacy community in general, um, where people don't really seem interested in improving the things that we already have. Like they've written off iCloud completely, so they don't care about privacy or security improvements that Apple is making to iCloud. And I think that's really unfortunate. It's an un unfortunate position for um, the privacy community in general to take because it discourages people from doing what Apple is doing or what other big tech companies are doing. Like, you know, Google does some things, right? They encrypt, um, they, like your Chrome browser histories end to end encrypted, for example. Um, it's, I, I still don't want people using Chrome in most cases, but like for the people who are, that's a net benefit to them. It's a benefit to a very large group of people. Like if we can make these small incremental changes over time to, much larger services to be more privacy perspective uh, to be more privacy respecting that doesn't take anything away from alternatives like Mulved browser like firefox if google chrome gets better or if icloud gets better that is not making private actual private privacy focused products worse right like it's not um it's not a zero sum game right and i i wish that we were more encouraging of companies that are taking some steps in the right direction even if like even if i'm not going to go out and recommend icloud mail um over proton mail of course i would still like it if icloud mail was more private and, like that and, would just be good like what if they release good? that right yeah it's a very fair stance to take i think all right well um why don't we start 
uh, sending this home to people. Um, so first off, Techlar Clips, brand new channel. We're almost at a thousand subs. And it does help us too, because um, we do have to hit the thousand for YouTube partnership. Um, and so we have to have a thousand subscribers. So it does help us, like it really does. Um, and then the forum is also fantastic. You know, in light of all this Reddit crap that's going on and all these other platforms, I just want to remind everyone who watches Techlor, pretty much everything we produce back here, literally everything we produce has some kind of like genuinely private and independent alternative. So um, we have things like our Discord, which is our community, but really we focus on our forum, which is independent, self-hosted by us. It runs on open source software. We control our forum and our forum integrates into everything else via RSS. So join our forum. It's a great place to be if you want a good privacy community and Reddit um, is, you know, not doing it for you anymore. Join the Techler forum. There's also the privacy guides forum as well that Jonah also um, is an administrator for as well. Um, and then if you want to move away from YouTube, we offer PeerTube and we offer Odyssey and we offer all these other great platforms for all of you. If you don't like Twitter, we're on Mastodon. I want to thank Jonah, you, your time. It's always a pleasure to do these. It's fun to just talk about privacy like a normal yeah. person. I don't have normal people <laughs> in my life to talk to about this in person. So it's always nice. Um, and I want to thank everyone who's tuning in and listening to this and getting value from this. And uh, we'll see you on TechLord Talks 12. Thank you all for tuning in. And yeah. Oh, Join our Patreon, patreon.com slash techlore. If you want to support us, this is all free content. So, and we have, yeah, we literally like lose, like right now we don't have a revenue model for things like PeerTube or like our forum. <laughs> like we literally host those just because we can and we want to. But if you really want us to keep doing that and keep expanding those efforts, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash techlore. All that money does help us out a lot. So thank you all. And we'll see you next time on TechLore.